Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Cunning Cast with me, Tony Robinson. And here's a confession. I love doing these podcasts because I'm allowed to make one on anything I want, basically. And I've chosen the things that I'm passionate about, that I care about, that move me, or that I like very much, my greatest pleasures. And one of my greatest pleasures, in fact, when I wrote down a list of things I wanted to do, it came in at number three, pie. Yes, Truly, I love a delicious, crusty, warm, buttery pie, almost more than anything else in in the whole world. Don't you? Doesn't everybody? Anyway, the humble pie has a history and today I'm indulging myself to talk pies with two guests who I hope will help me get under the lid of the pie. I wrote that, sorry, that wasn't improvised. What is it? What is a pie? Where does it come from? How do we make the best pies? And when will we get a chance to eat some pie? Well, the answer is on this programme, because I've asked both of my guests to bring a pie with them. But before we get on to that, um, Melissa, my producer, is here for a chat as always. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Tony. So, pie. Yeah. So, I've got a question for you. What does your dream pie meal comprise of? Like, starters, main course and dessert? Oh, what yeah, yeah. I, well, absolutely. It's, it's not just going to be one Just pie. pie. How many pies? What are they? Okay, this is my death row meal. Okay, well, I will start with an individual pork pie with a little splash of mustard on it. That's my hors d'oeuvre. And then my entree would be one of those Rick Stein type fish pies. I would probably ask my jailer to take a helicopter down to Cornwall to uh, get Rick Stein to make it himself. Uh, Main meal... It would be a steak pie, but it would be one that we get from a pub that's been under one of those glass cooking things for ages and ages because then the steak is absolutely gorgeous and the actual crust is really well cooked. I might even have a bit of kidney in it, as my dad always used to say, here you are, Tony, steak and kiddly pie. And then just before the noose is wrapped around my head, I would have a traditional apple pie, a British apple pie 
with lashings of Cornish cream with it. And then I would make my peace with my maker and say goodbye. But you're not going to die from the noose. You're going to die from hardened arteries with that meal. Uh, they wouldn't have time to harden, would they? Oh, come on. It's going to be wonderful. I'd, I'd have a, a few peas with, the, uh, with my main course. But apart from that, just the pie. And you are going to eat pie today, aren't you? I am. We're going to hear about that. Okay, on to pies. Pie. Even the word itself, I think, is fantastic. It's redolent with history and yumminess. And so here we are. I'm now doing a podcast about pies. And with me, I've got Neil Buttery, the food historian. I was going to say the pie historian. You kind of are, aren't you? That's that's a specialty. And I've got David Atherton, food presenter and writer. And most important from my point of view is that he was winner of the Great British Bake Off in 2019. Is that right? Yes, yes. Let me ask you both, first of all, just as a kind of warm-up question, what is your favourite pie? David? Okay, mine actually is a pie from Yotamotalengi. And it's a root vegetable pie. And I like it because it's simple. It's just got a flaky, uh, buttery pastry. And then it's actually just root vegetables in the middle, but they're soft and moist. And it is seriously delicious. Root vegetables doesn't sound very exciting. I know. I saw, I, I got this. Uh, it was his cookbook. And I love his recipes. And I saw this and it took a while for me to make it because I thought this can't be that good. Uh, but it is really, really good, uh, especially if it's part of a dish. It's, if it's kind of like a side thing and then you've got some other things on the plate as well, it's really special. Oh, that makes a bit more sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Neil, favourite pie? Well, I mean, it's a tricky question, to be honest. I don't like to pick favourites, but I guess I would go for something like a Lancashire cheese and leek pie. Cheese and leek, cheese and onion, I think it's such a good combination for a pie. It's extremely comforting. Why Lancashire cheese? Well, it has a little bit more bite to it. And, well, I, I live in Lancashire. <laughs> <laughs> and back when I was, uh, as well as being a food historian, I also used to, you know, in, I used to have a little restaurant. And the, probably the most popular thing on the menu was a Lancashire cheese and leek pie. And it's, it's, it's a cheese that gets kind of looked over, I think, for cooking with. So that's why I'm putting that in there. I'm dropping it in. Okay. Now, I like to think that this is basically an academic series. So, you know, let's have a bit of definition here. Let's focus in on what we're actually talking about. Neil, what is a pie? Good question. It's one of the things where there's not a specific definition, but I would say it's some kind of filling. It could be meat, vegetable, fruit, covered partially or wholly by pastry. Sometimes it's just a lid and sometimes it's a lid top and bottom. That is such an academic answer. That's just like when I say to uh, archaeologists, what is that in the ground? And they go, hmm, yes, well, it could be made of and uh, it does seem to have linear characteristics. David, come on, tell me what a pie is. Yeah, well, I think Neil was being very diplomatic then as well, because I know the British Pie Association say that it has to be fully covered in a pastry. It has to be a safety filling fully covered in a pastry. Uh, But I do agree in the sense of, I think, a pie that has a potato topping is still a pie to me. Uh, it has to be. I I like the idea that a pie is something that can be can be a meal in itself. Uh, but I do draw the line a whoopie pie in America, which is actually just a type of cookie sandwiched together with icing. So I think people do use the term pie. A whoopie pie. Yeah, a whoopie pie. It's just like a. It's just a biscuit with icing in the middle. It's mm. people do use pie a bit too much. I think. 
pizza pie. You know, pizzas are called pies in America, for example. So yeah, it's always a in in food. There's always very loose definitions, and people love to argue about the differences and whatnot, don't they? Pizza pie is just a misuse of the English language. I think we should, you know, <laughs> just move on from that with slight contempt in our voices. What about now? This really hacks me off. You go to a pub, you order a pie, and Something is put in front of you. Probably it's a porcelain dish. And as they put it down, the pastry lid kind of half slides Mm -hmm. off and dangles into whatever's supposed to be inside the pie. Can you really call something a pie just because it's got a slidey pastry lid? Yeah, it's just a bad pie in that case. (laughs) (laughs) A bad pie. Yeah, I think they're missing something because there's something about the pastry that comes at the bottom of pie that encases on underneath where some of the juices soak into it and it's got a different texture to the, the lid on top. So yeah, I wouldn't want that as my pie. David, you said to me something once about pies, which I'd never really thought about. But to me, it is part of the definition. And that is that the thing inside it really smacks you with its taste. Yeah, because I think a pie's got to be a complete meal in itself and the the pastry is very comforting um in is rich and buttery and then the inside has to be really impressive like i if anything i slightly over season it because i think it's got to be really tasty and like uh neil said with having like a leek pie with lancashire cheese it's got tang it's got richness it's got sweetness it's got it's kind of got to have everything for me in the center of a pie isn't it funny how virtually everything we've talked about so far has been a savory pie And yet I would imagine that just as many fruit pies are sold in Britain anyway. Yeah, good old apple pie. You can't go wrong. Although it does irritate me in American movies when they go on and on and on about apple pie and cherry pie. I mean, essentially it is just a pie, isn't it? You know, it doesn't really represent the nation. No, it's it's a tricky one what we uh, choose to represent our nations. Because I would say apple pie is pretty up there with the British as well as the American and it's the same food and yeah it is very very simple but yeah should it be the number one thing you you kind of define your culture by? I don't think they should have fought the Vietnam War for a motherhood and apple pie maybe motherhood but you know come on. <laughs> yeah I have to say I love a British apple pie but I was in Germany recently and had a fantastic apple pie there as well so I guess apple pie is something that can be claimed by so many nations you don't really want it to be your national sweet there's a strudel of course I mean that's a great pie do we count that as a pie a strudel I think I do why it's co- it's a, a, a filling fruit filling covered in pastry uh, I'm wobbling here, but I do think oh, no. you have got a point. No. I mean, I've, you know, I've got to be nice to you because I'm the presenter, <laughs> and you might walk off, and then we've got a very short podcast. But I do think that one of the things about apple pies is it's about the way that nation cooks the apple. For sure, because I think that, in particular, I think our apple pies tend to be quite sweet and quite soggy, which I think is absolutely great. Where whereas a lot of the American ones. It, they they put a match to the apple rather than bake it properly. Well, I think there is, the, of course, we've got the Bramley apple, which is the king of apples, in my opinion. You know, it produces such a lovely texture when it's cooked. And it's got, no matter how much sugar you put in, there's always a really good uh, sort of tartness in the background. So it's absolutely perfect. In America, it's usually, well, David might be able to correct me on this, but it's usually um, Granny Smith's that I used, or what I think of anyway, in American cooking. Yeah, it seems that they like to have a bite to their apples, whereas I agree, I think an apple that falls, like a proper cooking apple, like the Bramley being the absolute perfect, uh, that falls and goes really soft, because you can also 
uh, have some that's very cooked. I When I'm making an apple pie, I like to have some of the brownie apple very cooked and some of it not so cooked so that you have that like kind of that pasty apple bit as well as some chunks. And would you put cloves in your apple pie? Actually, I don't tend to. I think cloves overpower a bit too much. I Maybe a pinch of cinnamon, but I quite like the apple to sing uh, with its flavour. The singing apple pie. I love that. Um, let's have a look at the history of uh, of pies. My, you know, history being my obsession. I don't suppose any pie remnants have been found in the the pyramids. Not that I know of, but there's certainly evidence of pie making in ancient Egypt, ancient uh, Rome. Uh, you're kidding. Tell me. Uh, uh, but again, it's, it's what you want to define as a pie. Yeah. So it's one of those things where people really we kind of massage the truth a little bit. But certainly in the ancient world. Things were cooked, uh, really covered in a, a water and wheat flour pastry, thrown straight onto a fire usually, and it, the pastry was just there to protect what was ever inside. So it could be anything. Oh, that's interesting. Now, I see, I had always thought that the origin of a pie was that workers wouldn't be able to come back home from the fields, so they would need something that they could probably keep warm and certainly keep clean, and they would uh, have pastry with the meat or whatever inside it, but that the pastry would actually be part of the dish, not just a cover. But you seem to be implying that it was like a, a Macintosh that you put over the food. Yeah, and if you fast forward a few centuries to uh, the Middle Ages in England, there are pies being made where the pastry is made out of pretty rough uh, flour, but they were called coffins, which is a great name. And they were built up around the side. You'd put whatever was inside, make a pastry lid, and then bake it. Because it's much cheaper and much more versatile than some expensive um, cast iron cookware or earthenware or something like that. So that's how pies originated. Eventually, as you kind of go further on, the pastry gets more refined. They add a bit of fat to it. They add a bit of butter to it. And before you know it, we're eating the pastry too. But the history of the pie very much comes down to um, a, a vessel in which to cook something, say a casserole, for example. So what was the significance of the fat? Why was that such a, a game changer? Well, I would say it's because it gives it a crispness. All of a sudden, you've changed something that's quite... I mean, I've tried to make water flour doughs. Some places in France, they still do it and they do it very well, but I can't make anything nice out of just flour and water it's just always very just boring and oh it's always quite a bendy and it's very weird texture pop a bit of um lard or butter in there and you've completely transformed it have you ever tried that david yeah pastry with fat it um it makes things a lot softer doesn't it as well like it adds flavor but it also makes the pastry soft um, and allows you to get that kind of crumbly texture. When it was made in the Middle Ages then, when they were using it as a vessel, did anyone get to eat it? Was Did the did kind of the lower classes, the servants of the house, would they get to eat it? Or was it fed to animals afterwards? So what we think, again, we don't know everything, uh, especially when it comes to the Middle Ages, especially for basic things, because they're not written down in the recipes because it's just assumed we'd all know what to do, annoyingly. So some people think they were the pastry was eaten. Some people don't think that. But certainly the leftover pastry was taken by the um, arms men to give to give out to the poor people of the of the village as something something to eat, or maybe just a pop in a broth or something like that to thicken their meagre gruels and things that they were cooking. Do we know where the word pie comes from? It's a strange one, isn't it? It's one of those very short, simple 
words where I always just assume, <laughs> but it's a total assumption, that it's Anglo-Saxon. Just as very short, one vowel. Yeah, mm. it's certainly got that medieval tinge about it, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> T- pie, yeah. There's loads of nursery rhymes with the word pie in. It just kind of fits very nicely, doesn't it? Little Jack Horner sat in the corner eating his Christmas pie. What is a Christmas pie? A Christmas pie, well, they were, ab- they were huge raised pies, like a pork pie, so made with a hot water crust. And they were absolutely chock full of many animals, usually with all the bones taken out. If it was poultry, they're all stuffed within each other to make them. A bit like, you know, we kind of like these three bird roasts a few years ago. It was a bit like that, but it was seven or nine birds all stuffed into each other. There'd be maybe jointed rabbit and hare and grouse, whole legs of veal, all encased in a pie, a huge pie, covered in butter. Kilos and kilos of butter and baked for a long time to be sent, usually from Yorkshire or the north of England anyway, where there were lots of wealthy landowners with lots of game. And they would send them to their chums, you know, in the cities like Bristol, London, York, as uh, special gifts. And they were they were enjoyed usually on uh, Boxing Day, Feast of Stephen, as a kind of cold buffet. Oh, so that's interesting, isn't it? Because you would then need a, a sort of all-weather covering on, on top of it. In a way, the taste of the pastry wouldn't be so relevant as the fact that it would stop your gift being damaged. Exactly. It was there just to protect it. Because, you know, I mean, these were baked from the... The, the first recipes uh 1740s. So they had to be hoiked onto a carriage, you know, a coach or whatever, and taken halfway across the country to your friends in London. It has to survive. Uh, intact and not get uh, contaminated with any bacteria or anything. Have you ever tried to make a Christmas pie, Neil? I did try to make a Yorkshire Christmas pie. I tried to make the original recipe, the 1747, uh, for, uh, by Hannah Glass. Yes, a Yorkshire Christmas pie. It was an absolute disaster. I was asked to do it for a TV show about Christmas, and they said, we want you to do the original pie. They said, have you ever made one before? I said, no. And I said, would you do it? I said, well, it takes a lot of skill and a lot of people to make one. And I've never made one before. And they went, oh, you'll be fine. Go off and source the ingredients. And the pie, I mean, it was absolutely huge. Uh, the pastry used about seven and a half kilos of flour, I would say, to be able to get everything inside. There's turkey, a goose, a chicken, a partridge, a wood pigeon. There were woodcocks, teals, uh, a jointed hair. It was absolutely huge. It took two of us to lift it into the oven. <laughs> and it sat in the oven and it took me a week to, to get this. I mean, it was really hard work. And we just watched it collapse in the oven and the front of it just lent onto the glass door of the <laughs> of the oven. And we had to leave it in there for about 14 hours so it could get to temperature in the middle. And it just came out, this horrible, cracked, collapsed, black pie. And I never got to see what the inside was like. It was taken off to the studio <laughs> for the family to eat that were in this living like Victorians or whatever for, for a week. And the whole thing was cut out. A whole week's work 
Yeah, I was crestfallen. <laughs> In retrospect, what do you think you could have done to prevent that collapse? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, I, I See, I used her recipe word for word, and it wasn't very clear. But that was my brief. That's what I had to do. It turned out later, when I read up and sort of Victorian ones, they would put a band of metal around the pie and tighten it up. Sometimes it would have nice kind of shapes and patterns you know tapped into it so when you took it off it had a kind of had a waistline and it kept everything in and it wouldn't collapse but i don't know how they baked those massive pies without killing people and without burning the pastry on the outside it was it was quite a skill david have you tried any of that sort of really over elaborate cooking with um, you know sausages inside larger sausages inside elephants uh no but i have done i've definitely done um pies where i've kind of pushed it with the different types of meat like i remember doing a three bird pie once i'm actually from yorkshire so maybe it's my roots coming back um but yeah i do like like i was saying before i like a whole meal in a pie so that does actually um yeah that kind of whets my appetite to think of a pie that's full of loads and loads of different things four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie would that have been real? Yep. Yeah, it was very common for um, empty pie dishes to be baked. So just baked on, like, on, a, on a cylinder of metal, usually. You just lay it out so it looks like a pie. And then you bake it and you can take it off. And inside, yep, yeah, live birds, live frogs. Live frogs? Was another one that people like to do. So when someone cut into them, yeah, they'd all just jump out all over the table. All part of the theatre of food. So that was a, like a kind of gag. You, you you wouldn't eat the live frog. It would just be a snip, snip. Oh, good yeah. God, it's full what of frogs. What a good joke as they hop about and, I don't know, land in your dinner or, or as they try to scurry away. <laughs> What's that Cornish one? Is it a stargazy pie or something like that? Yeah, it's usually um, herrings or, or mackerel. Herring, I think, is the usual one. Is it fish heads? And you arrange them all in your dish so that the heads are poking outwards and you put your pastry over the top and their little heads poke out, hence stargazy because they're all looking upwards. Uh, it looks really nice. I've never made it. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, 
You're listening to Tony Robinson's Canning Cast with me, Tony Robinson, and my special guests this week, fellow pie enthusiasts, David Atherton and Neil Buttery. David, you have brought a pie with you into the studio, as they say. Not that we're in a studio, but you know what I mean. Show us what you've got. Yeah, I've made a pie. It's actually one of my favourite pies, an apple pie. So it is a classic British apple pie, and it's using Bramley apples, a good cooker, uh, and also blackberries that I foraged. And then the pastry is a short crust pastry because I love pastry that just crumbles and is really buttery, but it's also made with ground walnuts. Uh, because I'm a bit of a health buff as well. Um, and I do think that pies can still be healthy. So it's using a wholemeal flour and it's using ground walnuts. And ground walnuts are brilliant. Like Any ground nuts are brilliant because they ha- they're high in fat as well, um, but also have loads of other good stuff in them, but make the pastry really crumbly and moist as well. I love it. Will you just break it open for us and take a bite and tell us like you would if it was a bottle of wine, what the tastes are? That you experience. Mm. For those of you not looking at it, <laughs> the man is currently stuffing a pie in his face. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, to me, I have made it myself, but it is a perfect pie. The pastry is sweet and buttery, which doesn't, it's not got like a really strong flavour. And then all the flavour comes from the filling, which is very moist, but there is no soggy bottom. The pie is intact all the way around, uh, but the filling is still very moist. Um, and I just love it when you have a fruit pie and you actually get to taste the fruit without lots of other flavours getting involved. Neil, you didn't do your homework. You haven't brought a pie with you. I didn't, sorry. If you had one, mm-hmm. let us say it is in your hand, even as we speak. Yes. What is this gorgeous pie? And how does it feel as you put your teeth into it? Well, I have brought a lamb mince pie. Ooh. So it's made from minced lamb, as well as lamb suet, and dried fruit, and sugar, and all the other things you'd expect to be in a mince pie. I'm on a mission to try and get meat back in mince pies. And I also want to try and get people eating mince pies when it's not Christmas. There was something eaten every year. They were expected to be on every dinner table from sort of Georgian times, Victorian times into Edwardian era. Everybody loved mince pies and they are delicious when they have meat in, especially a lamb. When you say that you want people to eat mince pies with Mm -hmm. meat in, so you want them to have the raisins and sultanas and little bits of apple, possibly a little bit of brandy, but meat as well. That's right. And that's not disgusting. It sounds weird. Yeah, it does. Well, I mean, this is what I thought. You know, before I started cooking all this stuff, I was fairly squeamish. And it turns out, you know, it really was all all my problem. (laughs) It was all in my head. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, I've been so surprised by some of the recipes. And yeah, I mean, I I used to have it on my restaurant and people really, really enjoyed tucking into it. It's, It's delicious. It's not too different from, say, a tagine from the Middle East. You know, it's it's meat and fruit and that kind of stuff. So it's not that much of a leap, really. And what kind of pastry do you use? Is it is it still a short crust pastry you'd use for the same as a mince pie? Yes. I mean, I, I do a sweet short crust. That probably isn't what was used then, <laughs> but that's what I used to use. And it's really delicious, really delicious. There's lots of recipes in Mrs. Beaton's book of household management, for example, with five or six different recipes with, with meat in. And there's one with tripe, which I haven't tried. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, that was quite quite common for a, 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 a mince pie to be made with tripe. Have you ever had tripe, Tony? I have had tripe. I'm an East, I'm an East London boy. Of course I've had tripe. We used to have tripe fights in the playground. Yeah. That's not true. But <laughs> <laughs> I love tripe. I've had lots of different tripe soups and things. I think pies, again, they're actually quite good at using the offal and different types of meat. You don't always have to have really good cuts. And often the good cuts tend to be quite dry. So I think it's good to have things like tripe in a pie. I think that's right. I agree with you. I think we should have a campaign as long as people are continuing to eat meat. It does seem to me really offensive that we kill these animals and only eat about a third of the calorific stuff within it. I agree. Mm. Bring back the brains. Yeah, I love brain. All the awful cuts, you know, they're unusual, they're different because we're not used to seeing them. But once you've got over that mental hurdle, you know, that you're eating a mind... I never quite thought of that before. Mind pie. (laughs) And it's quite good for pies, isn't it? Because with offal, because you tend to cut them up a bit and they're they're kind of hidden within the the encasing of a pie. So it's actually quite a good way to get people into eating offal and different cuts of meat. I digress. I'm going to tell you about my pie. Well, I say my pie. To me, uh, the greatest addition to uh, uh, British cuisine in the last 10 years is the little pie shops that they have out the front of uh, motorways now, the Ginsters, uh, pasties and all that stuff. Brilliant addition. But Mm. even better than that, just in the last few years, we have had six mini pork pies, which you can just kind of eat these particular ones they're called mini melton mowbray pork pies and they're from sainsbury's now would you agree with me that if you're going to have a pork pie you want to have a bit of mustard with it oh yes i i don't i don't think that necessarily uh, you want too many condiments but mustard is my condiment of choice for pies usually as well this is going to be a really high class one this is piccalilli from Fortnum and Masons. <laughs> My agent sent me one of those hampers for Christmas and got this in and it is absolutely brilliant. So Yeah, I love Piccadilly. I don't obviously I don't want to mask the gorgeous taste of the pork pie, but here we are. Are you ready? Oh yeah. Mmm. Melissa, are you a vegetarian? Yeah. Oh, so you won't have any of this. No thanks. Oh. Mm. So, two great things about this little pie. First of all, a big pork pie can be a bit much, can't it? You, you know, you need to put it down and go away and have a swim or something before you finish the second half. This is great. You get all the fun, all the hit, all the erotic wonderfulness of a pork pie, but without having to eat it for hour after hour after hour. So, that's great. The other thing is... With the piccalilli, you can get those little florets of cauliflower, which just kind of make it for me. So I, 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 hope, I hope I've converted you to the way of the miniature pork pie. I, I'm absolutely gorgeous. Well, can you, I'll tell you what. Talk to me a bit about the industrialisation of pies while I continue eating this, and then I'll come in a bit later. Neil, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, we were talking about awful being being in pies it being a good thing but of course the other thing that people are mistrustful of pies because they're also a vehicle for any old stuff going in there 
see also sausages. It, it was great industrialization because you could produce large amounts of filling, pastries cheap, you can it's, rolling machines were very easy to make. So it's something that could be made industrial. Once it was made, it kept, it had a long shelf life because everything's hermetically sealed in there and uh, you know, no, no bacteria, hopefully. So it was something that could be made in large amounts with, compared to today, basic technology, and therefore very cheap, cheap, cheap fillers. And it became, I suppose the pie became a bit of a leveler because with industrialization of pies, everybody could have pies. Obviously, there was different qualities going on, but it was a food that everybody ate. Certainly, that making pastry is a bit of a faff, isn't it? And I certainly think for someone like uh, my mum, who had been brought up really with not much money at all in Hackney, my, my dad as, as well, suddenly in the 1950s, we used to have those individual chicken pies, which she could just once we had the fridge, which again was a new innovation, she could just take out the fridge, bang it in the oven, go off and do something else, probably have a tin of peas with it because we were classy, and, uh, and and job done. Whereas that is something that might well have taken mm-hmm. considerably more than an hour to create from scratch. No, it's, it's, it's a huge change that's happened to us socially that, yeah, the outsourcing of the, of the hard work essentially that goes into producing food at home. Yeah, it, it could free up every member of the household, essentially. Yeah. David, we, we haven't mentioned pasties yet. Do you think of a pasty as a pie? Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? It's Surely it's a subdivision of pies, because it is a filling fully coated in a, um, a pastry. So yeah, I would definitely say a pasty is a, a pie. It's quite a, um, it's kind of a rough one, isn't it? Because uh, it's just a pastry just folded over a filling. And how would you make a pasty? Or would you not bother? Would you just go to Ginster's? Oh, I, I mean, I'm very happy to have other things other people have made. But I like to make pasties and I like to take them on hikes with me because they're a perfect thing for being able to hold a whole meal. And also you feel like you've kind of earned it when you've hiked up a mountain or something. But I tend to use kind of a flaky, a flaky pastry. So it's more like a short crust, but with kind of layers of butter in there as well. So it's a bit flaky. And yeah, every kind of filling. I do love a Cornish pasty. It was extraordinary, actually, that image that you had then. I just realised that a pasty is roughly the same shape as a Neolithic hand axe, both of which you could take with you on the long tramp, and both of which you would be discarding flakes as you went along. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Presumably, uh, pasties have got a bit, bit of a history. Uh, Yeah, well, the the general kind of pasty goes back... Again, to, well, at least the Middle Ages, and it's a little bit like I was talking before about the the coffins, Um, you would have venison pasty. That was a very common one where a whole haunch or leg would be wrapped in pastry and baked and it'd be cracked into and the meat eaten. I've never had it, but apparently it's one of the best ways you you can cook a joint of meat. It's apparently delicious. You know, everything's kept in there. It doesn't lose any liquid and it basically steams Because people inside. still do the hot, uh, the salt crust, don't they? Where these salt crust fish or salt crust meat. I know that's the same and thing. And I guess that is probably one of the very old fashioned ways of, of doing a pie. Because uh, you don't eat that, you break it off, but it's make, it gives the perfect environment for the, the filling to cook. Mm. Maybe give the crust to the chickens. Would it be fair to say that if you wrap something in pastry as well, particularly if you put it in an open fire, then you're going to be able to even up the heat in a way that you wouldn't in a, in a sort of 
cruder fire. Yeah, indeed. And it must have been very difficult to cook and was probably a highly skilled thing to do, getting the, you know, the, the consistency right of the pastry, just the right temperature going on in the fire and moving it around. Uh, I mean, this might be a bit of a tangent, but, you know, cakes were made straight on the embers just exactly the same. So they obviously got burnt on the outside, but you'd crack them open and it'd be a nice fluffy steamed filling inside. Those are the cakes that apparently... King Alfred made. So um, they've got, it's got a long history. And as it, it's, it's one of those funny things. You go If you go far enough back, they all just seem to come out of one origin. Pies, cakes, puddings. It always just seem to go back to a blob of something. You're popping straight onto some embers, which I find fascinating. Reassuring. Yeah. yeah. What's the link between Cornwall and pasties? So this is one of, it's one of those everybody knows kind of things, isn't it? Oh, everybody knows Cornish pasties were invented for the Cornish miners to go down the mine and they put it in their pocket and they you could use the, the crimped bit as a, as a sort of handle as they ate. There's no real evidence for any of that kind of stuff, I'm afraid. I mean, they were certainly adopted by the miners, pasties, I guess because it's a very good portable food. Um, they probably didn't use the crimped edges, though, to eat from because they, they were in the tin mines or lots of arsenic. People thought, oh, they're using that so they don't get the poison stuff on their hands, on their food. Again, there's no evidence of that. I have found a photograph from the 1880s of a, some tin miners eating pasties, and they've got them in little bags. It looks like they've just walked straight out of Greg's. So, um, yeah, there's these sort of... I don't know, I guess it's a romanticism that's built up around it where uh, people think that it was invented by the Cornish. And that Cornish, pa- uh, Cornish pasty filling, there's very similar fillings all around the country. The Scotch pies, the Scotch butter pies, uh, homerty pies. They're all kind of very similar. Even, I mean, a cheese and potato pie, basically a, a Cornish pasty, but you've switched the meat for cheese. What about humble pie? Is that just a saying or was there a humble pie? There was an umbles pie. The H has been added <laughs> at some what, point. What, 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 the, what's an umble? The umbles were the, was that well, the offal, probably the chitterlings, so the intestines. But yeah, general word for uh, offal. And of course, it would be the humble dish is where we get the word humble from so if there's a sort of a medieval banquet where everyone's invited everyone's in the same room as the lord but they're not all getting the same food as the lord that's for sure <laughs> and by the time you're at the people who are near the back door or even outside of the door <laughs> um they're getting the they're getting the humble pie yeah hence the saying they'd be eating humble pie it's yeah. very interesting about the humble pie because i just don't think I don't think pies are that humble. I think people sometimes think of pies as being quite a basic food. Whereas to me, they're one of the most ingenious things to cook and very difficult because you're trying to make sure this pastry stays really nice uh, and soft and well cooked. Um, but you also want your filling to be juicy and moist, like in a Cornish pasty. It's got a gravy in there. To be able to get that gravy uh, to stay moist and not dry out and yet not have a soggy bottom to your pie it's a really skillful thing. So I think, yeah, I think pie makers should be held in higher regard, probably. My mum always used to put dried peas uh, in the bottom of the pastry 
Uh, is that a commonly done thing? Yeah, there's various ways. That's that's to try and protect the base of the pie so that the dry peas will absorb some of the moisture. Uh, mm. Some people sprinkle semolina. Um, I tend to use a mixture of water and corn flour so it makes a, a very slack paste and you paint that on the bottom. And then any of the ju- excess juices will be thickened by the corn flour. But there's, yeah, there's various tricks to make sure you don't get that soggy bottom. And what tricks are there to prevent it from collapsing in the middle? That seems to me like uh, a potential problem. I know my mum used to have um, a little model of one of the 4 and 20 blackbirds that she would stick in the middle of the pie. And I imagine that the the pastry would kind of glue itself to that and stop itself collapsing. Yeah, holding up the middle and also allowing steam to be released. Like you've got to have holes and you've got to have these uh, things that allow the steam to release otherwise it'll push your pie lid off. Uh, it is tricky. I mean, hot water crust pastry is the ones known for building up. And the Melton Mowbray pot pie that you mentioned, that's the pot pie that doesn't have any tin around it. So it tends to sag a little bit. Uh, so they're the particularly skillful pot pie makers. But usually you do want some kind of band of metal or a tin to help you because, yeah, the, the fats in the pastry are going to warm up as they're baking. And so if, it's a, if there's a lot of fat in there, it's going to be likely to collapse unless you've got some kind of structure around it. What other pies have we missed off the list so far, do you think? The potatoey pies. David, you alluded to it before. You know, your shepherd's pies. I mean, we can say these are pseudo pies, if you like, Tony. But yeah, fish pie, cottage pie, shepherd's yeah, pie. I, yeah, I certainly think of that. It's funny, isn't it? I've been so snobby I, of thinking that all pies uh, have to have pastry toppings. But I'm, I'm now convinced that David's right spud on it like a shepherd's pie that is a pie isn't it what about the sweet ones that don't that are more like a tart i guess they've got pastry around the bottom so they're they're kind of covered in pastry underneath but then have a different topping like a lemon meringue or something like that are they pies or is that a tart Mm. yeah is a quiche a pie no (laughs) no we're not we're not having that one but yeah, but you put you put a pastry lid on it, and it's suddenly a bacon and egg pie. <laughs> yes, <Correct. laughs> it's weird, isn't it? But it completely changes your your idea of what it is. Completely changes, and it's probably the same ingredients. Yeah, yeah. Whereas a lemon meringue pie is a pie mm. because it has got that topping of meringue on it. That would that's what I reckon. Yeah. I agree. David, you've made a few pies for TV shows. Yeah, you? on the Great British Bake Off, we had a pastry week. So I made quite a few. I mean, it's, it's generally pies. Uh, and then pies do actually show up in other weeks as well on Bake Off. So, yeah, I've had to do all different kinds of pastry. Do you have to do every single bit yourself without any help? Because I know when I did Celebrity Bake Off, if I got like completely in, in a complete mess just about what an ingredient should be there was usually someone around I could at least ask they wouldn't do it for me but you know I wasn't completely out on a limb were you always out on a limb well yes thank you for sharing that bit of knowledge Tony because I had an inkling that the celebrities had it a bit easier we definitely we were allowed to get any information from anybody because it's true when you're in the tent under pressure There'll be something that you've baked so many different times before. Like I had a mind blank with a shoe pastry um, when I was in the tent, but no one could help me. I They let me just crash and burn. And I did crash and burn. I came last in that technical. Uh, so yeah, we didn't get any help at all. But your pies never collapsed. No, I did quite well with the pies, actually. In fact, there was one, uh, one of our technicals. We had to make um, 
a Moroccan pie using the Walker pastry, which is incredibly thin. It's even thinner than phyllo pastry, uh, layer after layer. Uh, and I won that technical. But I also crucially knew what it is because there's quite a lot of pies from all around the world where people aren't familiar with them. Uh, I think it is something that is, there's probably a pie in almost every country and culture across the world. And certainly this Walker pastry, I was the only one that knew what it was, which was a help. That has so got to be your next book, Pies from Around the World. You could call it the pie ball. Yes, the pie ball. Hey, top man. But now we have to do it quickly because someone else is going to take this idea. I really like uh, the empanada, which is, that's like a pasty, isn't it, from um, South America. I really like those. How do you make those? Uh, it's very, yeah, it's very similar to a, a Cornish pasty, actually. Um, but there's quite a few pies from different parts of the world I've been where they actually deep fry them as well. So instead of baking, you're making the pastry and then you deep fry them because the center is piping hot and you get this lovely crunchy edge and then the pastry is still soft as well. To end with, I always ask people if they've got a cunning plan. I want to ask you both whether you have a cunning plan either for a pie that you've never made and would love to or else one that you have made and it was so exotic and so wonderful that you'd like to make it again david i think i would go with the moroccan walker pastry it's incredibly difficult to do because you're making this paper thin pastry uh but the inside um has like a moroccan chicken with raisins and all these kind of spices and it stays really moist and then the outside is just layer upon layer of crisp paper thin pastry but I've never made it again because it was such a long process <laughs> that it's something that I would like to try again. And I think that um, I should try again. Neil? I think I'm going to go out there and I'm going to say an eel pie. As in Eel Pie Island? As in Eel Pie Island, yeah. Uh, I did have the opportunity to make one a few years ago. It's hard to get freshwater eels in this country, but I lived in the US briefly. It was quite easy to get hold of them there. And it was very much, oh, it was the start of my well, career, if you can call it that, <laughs> for historical cooking. And it went a little bit wrong. Um, but since then, I've cooked eels a few times and I really want to return to it because it's just one of those things that crop up so often in uh, lists of menus, uh, even in Shakespeare plays. You know, eel pies were just one of those things that everybody ate. And I feel like I didn't do it justice the first time round. So I really want to have another go. And what kind of pastry is it? For that one, it's well. It's an interesting one, actually. Uh, sour cream is used instead of instead of water or, or milk, and it makes it really rich and slightly tart. It's got quite a rich filling inside, and the slight tartness of the sour cream uh, in the pastry kind of means you can put more sort of cream and whatnot in, inside and make it richer. You can get away with it. That's what the idea was. I didn't execute it very well. It all went a bit wrong. Thank you both very much. I am sure that virtually every listener will be rushing away to source some eels so they can make eel in sour cream sauce and put it in a pie. Thanks for listening. If you want to join in the conversation, you can find me on Twitter at Tony underscore Robinson and you can follow all our podcast news on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. And please, please, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. I'm Tony Robinson. This is my cunning cast produced by Melissa Fitzgerald and it's a Zinc Media production.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.